Welcome to Learning Machine, a podcast about the uncertain future of education. I'm Raven Deramus Byers, and our guest today is Ann Cosma, an educator innovation lead on Team Flipgrid at Microsoft. As always, I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Nathan and Sam. Thanks for joining us. The power of an undo button or a back button. My, I'm not kidding. Listen to this. My first graders were hesitant to color with paper and crayons. I can't do it. I'll mess up. And I, no matter how many times I'd say, no, listen, this is all about creation. It's a process. You're constantly growing. This can't be messed up. As soon as they had a tool substitute, a, a digital crayon or inking tool instead of a paper and crayon, and they could push that back button, their confidence soared. The voice you just heard was our education expert, Anne Cosma, talking about the power of educational technology tools to give students confidence. Anne teaches teachers to use technology. She's heading into her 20th year in education, and she's worked directly with students as a classroom instructor, led teacher technology teams at the district level, and she's now on Team Flipgrid at Microsoft. During our conversation, Anne discussed how she has seen technology used as a tool to advance equity in the classroom, in particular by creating space for students to express themselves and build confidence in their own voices. She, of course, also talked about Flipgrid, a visual discussion platform, and how Flipgrid supports equity. Stay with us. So, on today's episode, we're talking about digital content creation platforms. During our conversation with Anne, it came up that traditional classrooms are set up to help students avoid failure. But research and education suggests that instead we should be providing a learning environment where students feel comfortable with failure. We heard Anne describe the impact of a simple undo button for her elementary school students because this gave her students the ability to create confidently without worrying that they might make a mistake. Sam and Nathan, from what you've seen, how are classrooms today set up to discourage students from failing? And how can technology support productive failure? Yeah, I think the the example of an undo button is such a good one. Um, but even just the simple idea that students can delete what they've written. Um, and I think... Uh, in a lot of the technology use that I saw within my own classroom and in other classrooms during virtual classrooms during the pandemic, um, teachers are giving their students more of an opportunity to try again, to rewrite questions, to come back to a question, to make an attempt at an answer and then learn some things and then go back and edit the answer that they already wrote. And this is something that just was a lot more difficult to do when we were using pen and paper. Um, it's just, and I think, you know, even though we've had technology and computers in the classroom for a long time, we're getting to a point where a one-to-one, uh, system of Chromebooks to students in school districts is allowing teachers to rely on the idea that they can say, okay, I'm going to have you write something, then we can talk about it. And then you can go back and work on that writing again and improve it. And so I think this idea of like, it's almost like drafting that would happen, naturally in an English language arts class, maybe. Um, I think it's happening more and more generally, even a place like a science or a math class where a student makes an attempt at an answer 
and then learn something and has a chance to go back and revise that answer, think about it again. And in these tech tools, it's really clean to be able to use that system, to be able to go back in, delete what they had written, get a, get a, a literal clean slate to start writing again um, and not have to go back and, you know, and, and another, I think another thing is, is the organizational piece that students often lose their writing or teachers having to track student answers and writing over long periods of time is also really helped by these tech tools that provide, again, this platform to retry and to see what you've done in the past. So those were the two things that I thought were most powerful. And I think that lots of tools, Flipgrid included, provide uh, those kinds of opportunities for teachers. Writing is a great example of a subject where the ability to iterate quickly, right, to write and rewrite and rewrite and edit and delete, remove things and then add things again is really helpful um, in the terms of the learning process. I also think any type of creative pursuit that happens in schools, there is sometimes a pressure put on it in schools to make it fit within the box that we have established as sort of the way that learning is measured. And what I mean by that is lots of times in art classes, right, every project has a rubric, every assignment you do has to meet certain criteria. And I think in some ways that really stifles creativity because students feel like, well, I want to make something, I want to make some art, but I also really don't want to fail. I have this moment burned into my memory from first grade where I had such a hard time with coloring in the lines (laughs) and like my fine motor skills, I just didn't have them. I just like wasn't able to color in the lines. And so every time we got a coloring worksheet, you know, there's like a worksheet where you had to do coloring. I would look around, wait till no one was watching and then crumple it up and shove it in my desk. And at the end of the year, my teacher was going around like, okay, everyone clean out your desks. And I like opened my desk up and my teacher, sorry, Mrs. Gilsdorf, but Mrs. Gilsdorf (laughs) looked at my desk and she gave me the most withering look. Like I just, I still feel the guilt inside today because she was like, look what you did. You just crumpled up every one of these pieces of paper and put them in your desk. And honestly, for the longest time, I have have said I'm not an artistic person. I don't do art. And I think it wasn't until like, you know, the, the first time I can really remember feeling like I could be creative and do art was probably in a, like I took a digital photography class in college that allowed me to do things on a computer. And so I felt like all of a sudden I did have the ability to create things. And if it didn't look good, I could like remake it. And so I think digital tools do offer like channels or options for being creative that we just don't really have in terms of a paper, a pen and paper setting. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the things that I liked most about, um, having technology when I was teaching, um, high school English versus when I was a student taking high school English is um, all of those uh, tools that provided immediate feedback and also showed you ways to make it better. And so much of writing, so much of good writing is abstract and very different from how we're taught to write. Um, Mm -hmm. And so even as a teacher, sometimes it was um, difficult for me to explain to students how to break out of the five paragraph model, um, what is good writing, how to be stylistic with their voice and stuff like that um, without those tools, like from uh, Google Suites, you know, that'll 
underline not only for when a word is misspelled, but also underline when the sentence is incomplete and tell you like what preposition or pronoun should go there. Um, that's always very helpful. Also, I really liked about um, Google Docs that it wasn't just the red pen that you're used to seeing. You can suggest changes on there. And mm-hmm. so there's there's like an opportunity to actually collaborate with a student, which to me feels like a more um, low pressure uh, feedback situation um, and then gives them an opportunity also to still like put their voice and style and personality in their writing. Um, that was the biggest thing for me is just trying to figure out technological tools that would make uh, writing less anxiety inducing for them for sure. And so I think that technology can help that way. Even for me, like um, writing emails um, has traditionally been a difficult thing, especially when you have like a letter that you have to send to a parent or something like that. But I often find that like even typing it on my phone first or writing it with the Apple pencil on the iPad, I don't know if it's because it's a different environment or something or a different way that I'm looking at the screen, but even that makes me feel a little bit better because it helps me to see my mistakes a little bit easier. So I think in that way, technology can be super helpful. Yeah. I I think so much of Nathan, that story that you shared is pretty intense (laughs) getting like the idea that you might've been turned off from art in the first grade purely from like a teacher's look. And like, I think about what was that teacher hoping to get out of giving coloring assignments to her students, probably not a lot more than, you know, have a little bit of fun and let's eat some class time and let's do something where, yeah, you're engaging fine motor skills, but I'm sure she wasn't like, well, I'm going to, my goal is to get every student drawing inside the lines by the end (laughs) of, you know, she was just giving out an assignment and yet this impact, this had this impact on you, this totally outsized impact probably from what, and I'm sure it's a situation where she doesn't even remember, uh, you know, doing this. And I just, you know, I contrast that with work that I did during the pandemic as a teacher, you know, I had students that were particularly engaged in science and then particularly maybe engaged elsewhere. I had students that were more into art, more into uh, ELA and and tools like Flipgrid. And I, I did use Flipgrid during the pandemic, allowed me to give students a lot of choice that I think was also, mm-hmm. you know, so Flipgrid allows you to, to post a variety of different um, media tools, resources, whatever it is that you want students to look at. And I used it, I would give it to students with nine different, you know, uh, grids and just, or one grid with nine different options and say, you know, choose what you want to do. You need to do three of these and you have some time to get them done. And maybe one of them's a video. And <laughs> there were these videos. I had this student, Josh, that loved the, there are like, um, educational rap videos for every subject in science. They're just like very corny and like done by some, you know, really enthusiastic teacher who, you know, wrote about how the periodic table uh, works using, you know, a really contrived rhyme scheme and a really simple beat. And certain Mm -hmm. students love them and find them just so amazing. And other students find them like terribly corny, like so cringe that they just can't even sit in the room while they're playing. And I found that, you know, Flipgrid and tools like it allowed me to (laughs) let students who like that use it. And other students could do something else. They could read, you know, just a little write up on the periodic table, if that was Mm -hmm. easier for them. And so I think choice is a major place where we allow students to be successful in the classroom in their own way. Allowing for student choice seems like one of the most important and powerful affordances that technology can provide in the classroom. Like, 
allowing students to be the ones who create knowledge, being the ones who are sort of in charge of how they demonstrate their knowledge and how they are assessed. Like that to me seems like a huge transition from the traditional pen and paper evaluations that have been used for so long. Like another, um, you know, sort of story that comes to mind for me is again, from back when I was a student in, in high school, I can remember feeling very comfortable in that I was a student who was successful in sort of operating within the traditional patterns that were expected in an English essay writing classroom. Like I was the five paragraph essay was something I felt very comfortable with and felt like I could do successfully. But I remember in one of these early classes, or I think it was in our, our sophomore year of high school, Sam actually had written a essay for one of our classes and he was really passionate about this assignment. So passionate that he had written like <laughs> 10 paragraphs in an essay and he showed it to me and was like, Hey, do you want to, would you edit this or give me some feedback? And I remember saying to him, I was like, well, this is like way too many paragraphs. Like how can you, how can you fit this into a five paragraph format? This doesn't even make sense. And he was like, Nathan, I'm, I'm beyond the five paragraph essay at this point. Like that was a starting point, but now I have progressed to the point where I have more to say and, and you don't have to stick to that, that formula. And I mean, my mind was blown at the time. I remember thinking, <laughs> "That's like, so amazing!" I don't even remember it. <laughs> I mean, of course, right? You don't remember it because I'm sure for you, it's just just another day in your life uh, in in high school. But for me, this was like, "Whoa!" I don't have to follow these prescribed patterns and do ex- and present my thoughts in exactly the way that I'm expecting them to be evaluated. Right, working backwards from the rubric or the way that it's going to be graded. And I think so often we do use rubrics and they're a really important way to scaffold students learning, but we we fail to take that extra step of saying, okay, now that you've met the rubric, what can you take from this experience and then branch out and do in your own way? Mm-hmm. Which is something about like, I think Flipgrid as a platform that's really interesting is that it does allow for students to present their ideas in so many different ways and in ways that like resonate with who they are as a person. And that's really something you can't do as easily in a traditional classroom discussion, right? In a classroom discussion, you raise your hand, you speak, that's pretty much how you present your ideas. But for a lot of students, they may not be super comfortable with their own voice and they might actually be much more comfortable, you know, drawing an animation or recording a video where they can edit it multiple times or showing a slideshow or presenting images or writing out their ideas in text. Like all of these different ways are facilitated within one platform by a digital discussion board like Flipgrid. I think that's really powerful. What do either of you have any ideas about what, like, what are your thoughts on digital discussion forums? Um, I I think for the reason that you said, because uh, students, can be more comfortable. Um, it's a good, it's a good way, um, to get them to get used to discussion, I think. Um, but it can't be the only model. Like what would be really good is if, and I guess this is with any technological tool, um, it depends on how it's taught, uh, to the students and how they learn to use them that make them the most effective, but will be the most helpful is that students learn how to use, 
um, digital discussion boards and forums to get their thoughts together and present in a low pressure space. But then they take those same skills. And when they are in live conversation with somebody in person in the classroom or even at work, um, if they're older, um, that they learn how to then insert themselves into conversations where it's necessary and then use those presentation skills that they've learned from those digital forums. Um, Because I guess a con would be that you don't, um, you don't have that sense of advocacy to uh, overcome, Mm -hmm. I guess um, in a digital space, but so many of those social skills, I hate that we even need them, but they are important. And so using them in tandem with each other, I feel would be very helpful. Yeah. I think, you know, that's so smart Raven. And I think, you know, there's all these pros with the digital discussion platforms um, along the lines of, you know, scaffolding for students and how to do, how to, how to engage in a discussion, providing a space where they can have time to think, providing Mm -hmm. a space where they can, uh, you know, in, in many cases, edit or undo or redo what they've said to try to adjust um, but, you know, a, a digital discussion platform also has some limitations, like it can't get students, if students are maybe not uh, writing thoughtful answers, if they feel like it's just another thing that they have to do, and I can just say, yep, mm-hmm. or I, a, lot, mm-hmm. a lot of my students would write IDK on <laughs> uh, virtual assignments where I'd given them a chance to write a, a short answer response. Uh, and so I sometimes felt like, you know, well, oh, multiple choices maybe even better than discussion response if they're not going to you know, provide a thoughtful response. And so thinking about how to scaffold those thoughtful responses to get Mm -hmm. students to really engage in the content, right? Like the technology can't do that for you. And I think similarly, you know, becoming proficient at online discussion doesn't necessarily translate to having a sit-down discussion and talking with people. And as you say, Raven, building all the social skills that are attendant with uh, learning how to discuss with people in person, right? One of the benefits mm-hmm. of going to school, physically being in school, is that you get this chance to interact with other humans face-to-face and learn what that's like and see what that process is like and, and how to have a conversation in a respectful, engaging uh, way that's that's productive. Um, and so the digital tools, I think, can uh, you know be a major support Right, they can they can allow us to get students to practice things, to take the pressure off, to scaffold, but they can't inherently do some of the things that I think are the biggest uh, and most important asks of a teacher. Yeah, agreed. And to all our listeners out there, remember we'll be continuing this conversation online. Uh, we really want to know what you think about digital discussion tools too. So feel free to weigh in on Twitter. Reddit and Instagram. Um, and now let's jump into our segment from the interview with Anne. So I don't know as much about Flipgrid and I do want to make sure our listeners also kind of have a baseline understanding before we get into kind of the design of it. So can you just tell us what is Flipgrid and what need does it serve in education? Yeah, absolutely. Something, of course, I love to talk about. Uh, Flipgrid is a free video discussion platform from Microsoft. Um, I love using the the phrase, it allows folks to share, celebrate, and showcase learning. Uh, the power of video It is a transformative part of everybody's story because if you think of the power of story, 
that's sort of the way that we engage and connect and celebrate our authentic lives. So Flipgrid allows folks to share their voice wherever, whenever, and provides those flexible pathways for educators to celebrate learning, um, whether that's in their classroom community on a school campus or or even amongst their own life and, and family and friend group or or social enterprise and organizations. It's it's a way for folks to connect and share and and share that journey of learning together. Okay, so you called it a video discussion platform. Yes. Can you paint a at picture its, for me? What does that yep. look like? So at its core, Flipgrid is a powerful storytelling camera. Um, educators have access to creating groups. Think of a group as your classroom. And then they create the, uh, or they choose however they want members to join in. So in education, a lot of folks will leverage their school domain, meaning anybody within their domain is sandboxed into a controlled environment, and then educators prompt discussion with topics. So that could be a book talk or celebrating, you know, a math, you know, question or solve this equation and prove a strategy or any topic, any any discussion, an experiment, an idea, Um and then folks leverage the Flipgrid camera to create a response. And there are all kinds of visual effects, you know, text, inking, GIFs, uploading videos, music, etc. So folks can leverage the power of creativity within the camera. But ideally, the, the whole thing is teachers say, hey, I want you to create something and students create something. And then the, the magic happens when folks learn from each other and listen to each other and explore together and engage and respond and extend conversations. So um, a big social learning platform leveraging the power of a super creative storytelling camera. Interesting. Okay. And so when Students are responding or, or this, this, you know, discussion is happening. Is every comment or post a video or can there also be text interleaved in those discussions? Yeah, great question. So by nature, it's technically a video because it's a video platform. However, anybody could mute the audio and leverage text only to create a text-based response. You mm -hmm. can cut the video and utilize a mic-only option, so podcasting or audio-based responses, uh, leveraging photographs or stickers or the embedded effects within. It doesn't have to be a video in terms of selfie style or produced video. That, to me, is the, the magic and beauty of the camera, the flexibility to create. And it just depends on that unique person, how they choose to create and respond. I'm just trying to imagine what a forum looks like in these in Flipgrid. Are they multi-threaded where you can kind of post a response to somebody else's video, but you can also post to the original prompt and they kind of become these multi-threaded discussions? Is that the idea? Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. So the educator is basically remains in control and determines how they want to set it up. So when I say there's lots of flexibility, an educator could pose one topic discussion and folks respond to that. 
but they can also determine whether or if they want the community to be able to engage and respond to each other. So turning on or off a feature like that to leverage text comments or video comments as communities extend those conversations. Now within a group, an educator might post two discussion prompts. And so those would be mm-hmm. two simultaneous conversations happening. And, and the way that it could thread is members respond to each other, members leverage that extension of a conversation back and forth. It all depends on how the educator chooses to set it up. But there is definitely the ability to have a threaded conversation and respond to each other if the educator chooses to enable that feature. If you're enjoying today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send us an email or reach out on social media. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In our last season, we talked with several education experts about CRT in the classroom. One thing that came up in our episodes with Jania Hoover and Amy Samuels was that many teachers want to have conversations about racial injustice in their classrooms, but are scared that they don't have the expertise. In our conversation with Anne, we talked about how a platform like Flipgrid can support teachers in outsourcing some of that expertise to bring these conversations into their classrooms. Do you think that Flipgrid as an educational technology supports equity in the classroom? And if so, how how do you think it does that? Yeah, this is a great question. I I do. Yes, I absolutely do. Um, One, in how it creates space for every person to participate in a way that they choose. Um, Back in the day when I first started using it, it was the idea of like, every student can raise their hand, every student can share, every student has the opportunity. But um, it's giving every person access to a tool to contribute in their own unique way. Um, I mentioned the free aspect that that's something that I absolutely love getting to share about Flipgrid, providing that resource for folks um, and making that available for everybody. Um, So I think that that um, coupled with the fact that it is device agnostic and whether you're leveraging the free iOS or Android Mm -hmm. app or um, your web browser, um, making that tool available for everybody is is one beautiful thing that, um, God, I feel so lucky and so fortunate to get to share it because so many people can access it. And I would just add on, I think just to reiterate, you know, you mentioned this core part of your mission seems to be providing collections that are focused around topics of equity and helping to support those challenging conversations that maybe teachers don't always feel like they're equipped to have. They get this, oh, hey, you're not really sure how to talk about racial injustice. Well, here's some people who are experts on it and they built this flip grid that you can use to spark those discussions in your classroom. Like that to me is also a really cool aspect of it. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I think especially in the last handful, well, in the last two years, specifically as folks are exploring these conversations or, or what does it look like to have a conversation about race, equity, and justice? 
I, if I don't know where to go for a tool or a resource, that, that that's one thing we're, we're trying so hard to provide folks at, as resources. Um, and from, from trusted and reputable sources, like it makes me so proud to share that the Equal Justice Initiative is, is in yeah. there. We have another great partnership, um, with the Langston League and they're sharing a, a series of not only learning opportunities for students, but, but professional learning for educators as well. Um, dynamic resources that everybody has access to. Um, and that makes me so proud as well as focusing on inclusion and accessibility. Um, one of the other features built into Flipgrid is this thing called the immersive reader, which provides visual and audio supports. Uh, this is a Microsoft learning tool that was originally created to support students maybe with dyslexia or dysgraphia, but it's a mm. non-stigmatizing learning support that does anything and everything like increasing text size or contrasting light and dark modes or identifying parts of speech or providing line focus or a translation tool or a picture dictionary. Um, these, these are just things that are built into the very core of how Flipgrid functions. And yeah, absolutely. As, as our work at Microsoft is, is to help empower people to achieve more and, as a unique learner and an individual, I, I mean, I love the beauty of diversity and community and how each person is on their own journey to learn in their own unique way. And mm. let's see that and celebrate it. And I think that's why I love Flipgrid so much. Is, you've heard me say it. I'm going to say it again. It's flexible. It provides that, that right. pathway for each unique person. This season, we've repeatedly encountered tools that claim to advance educational equity. But what do we think? Does technology advance equity in the classroom? And if so, how? Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I feel similarly about this as I do to the idea of like what's good or bad. What are the pros and cons of a discussion forum, which is that, you know, technological tools can be a, 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 a real boon in the classroom to help you do things. And if you as a teacher want to have discussions about equity, Flipgrid could be a really great way to get students to express themselves and have conversations about that. But Flipgrid can't have the conversation for you. It can't set up the conversation for you. And I think about when I think back to not just season two, but even back in season one, we talked about the idea um, with Freddie DeBoer, the, the idea that when there are advances in like the school system writ large, those advances benefit all students and in positive ways. And, and that's excellent. And we should never say that that's a bad thing. But if we are just saying, hey, there are these technological tools that are going to benefit students, that isn't addressing equity. That isn't thinking about the gaps that exist, thinking about the challenges that uh, lie in front of a number of students in our, in our public school system. Ad addressing equity would be addressing those problems. Providing technological tools to students who have historically struggled with access to technology would be an example of, I think, you know, trying to create equity. Um, so I do think that, you know, if, it, if it's putting uh, tools into the hands of students, there's a degree to which that is really helpful. But there's also a degree to which there's just a limit to what a computer can do to affect changes in, you know, you know deep uh, inequities and inequalities that exist inside of a system. Um, I continue to believe that those things, whether we use technology or not, need to be addressed head on as opposed to, hey, if we just make the... Uh, we just make the classroom experience really good for all students. It'll fix itself, won't it? 
Yeah, I, of course, agree with Sam that there's a lot more that needs to be done outside of the classroom in society at large. We cannot expect that if we just make the classroom experience better, that that's going to fix all of the societal inequities that exist. Um, There are two, I guess, ideas that I would point towards just to sort of offer a counterpoint to a couple of ways to, to show a couple of ways that technology, I think, does advance equity, maybe in ways that we haven't seen in the past. And I'm specifically talking about digital technology here. And one of those ways is allowing students to present information to be assessed in a broader spectrum of ways, right? Mm -hmm. I think that with digital evaluation tools, we can evaluate students and allow them to show that they understand something in, in many different ways now, right? Text, video, images, um, you know, a live stream. There are, uh, you know, asynchronous uh, discussion forums. I think all of those, if we allow assessment to be done in more individualized ways, that is going to help to support equity. And the other thing I would point to was something that came up in my conversation with Anne, which was that we've started to see a little bit of this crowdsourcing of educational expertise And digital technology has supported that, right? So when we were talking about teachers who want to run a discussion forum on racial injustice, she was like, well, Flipgrid has, you know, partnered with a number of social justice organizations who have created structured discussion forums that will help a teacher to introduce this unit and guide students in these discussions. And and these are people who, you know, do this for a living. And so obviously know a lot and have thought a lot about how best to structure these kind of conversations. And now this is freely available to any teacher anywhere in the world who has access to Flipgrid, which is a free platform. So I think some of that crowdsourcing of expertise is, is hopefully also going to contribute to equity. Yeah. I think so. And just to offer a short thought um, and a closing point, I guess, since we're almost at that time is um, I do believe that when um, technology is used to produce something new and stretch everybody's skills in a, in a classroom, rather than people just using technology to produce the same results they've always produced, the same assignments they've always produced and everything else, um, that it can be a way to kind of combat social and societal inequities outside of school. So like I'm thinking about um, ways to make students um, both college and career ready, for instance, um, since we have a, a lot more access to certain digital technological tools and everything, then we also can use that to teach kids how to be um, better at writing social media posts or blogs or um, be better at uh, doing podcasts or interviews or something like that. Um, all these types of skills that we know um, since millennials are starting to be the bosses and managers in companies, um, they find those things important. And so now we can actually give kids potentially a leg up to be able to compete in society. Um, Not only can they use, you know, Google suites to be able to write a good five paragraph essay, but with their one-to-one computers, you know, they can get away once they pass the AP exam, get away from that. And then, um, you know, practice using Zencaster or something like that. So when they go to work, I don't know, somewhere on wall street, they also can, 
run a business outside of that selling candles or something because they know how to promote themselves on social media. Mm. Or maybe if they want to go into journalism, they also are going to be really good at, um, you know, pushing certain stories forward because they know how to use all of these other platforms and tools. And so um, that is probably an an idealistic (laughs) idea of how technology can be used. But that is what I would hope is that if we're going to be putting students through school to make them a a more competitive workforce, that we also use it to stretch their skills and stretch their imagination. That brings us to the end of today's episode. These were such interesting questions um, that we still want to continue to talk about with you, all of you listeners out there. Um, So don't forget, please join us on Reddit or Twitter. Um, Share your opinion on this week's debate in education. We definitely would love to hear what you think. To learn more about this week's guest, And to find out how to support this podcast, visit learningmachinepodcast.com. You can also learn more about Flipgrid at flipgrid.com. And you can connect with Ann Cosma on Twitter at Ann, A-N-N, Cosma, K-O-Z-M-A, 723. Thank you to all those who teach, listen, and learn. See you next time.